Colossians 2 with me. We're going to start there, and then we're going to land over in Romans, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7. But to kick off, we're going to go into Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Let me just read this to you. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their shame, authority at the cross, and marched them naked through the streets. Sin has no power. The enemy has no power except for that that we give to him, because we have been delivered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Just keep that verse and thought in, your, in, your, in the back of your mind this morning. I was thinking about a jail cell this week. How many of you all have ever been in jail? Come on, be honest this morning. We're going we're gonna to get real today. I have too, believe it or not. I'll tell you the story in a minute, but I've been in jail. Isn't it amazing that you're sitting here this morning? Like God is, I'm, I'm just blown away by God today. I don't know why. Here's my question for you this morning. Is there still an arrest warrant out for you? Um. Does our security team have access to like that independence thing where they can look up warrants? Like people walk in, we scan their faces and we just throw handcuffs on them. I think, I think that'd be a get saved or go to jail. I mean, I think that'd really be transformational in people's lives. I, I think we'd really see a revival around here, don't you? Just don't take them to jail. Just bring them to the church first. We'll, we'll get them right, right? Maybe that's what needs to happen anyway. Um, I, there was this one time I had, um, I had forgotten to pay a ticket. Anybody else ever forgotten to pay a ticket? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of blonde. And so no offense to blondes, Rachel, but I'm, I'm kind of blonde. Um, and so <laughs> I, I completely forgot to pay this ticket. And so I thought, well, I'll just go into the Blue Springs to the police department. I'll pay this ticket. This, it'll all be fine. No, it wasn't. And so I walked in. I, I have a recurring fear of jail. I don't know why. I, just, I Seriously, like it's this recurring thing. It's been my whole life, that and the rapture, and everybody's gone, and here I am. Those two things are just, they haunt me completely and utterly. Anyway, so I walk into the police department. I'm like, hey, I need to pay my ticket. I was like a week late. We're not talking like I didn't wait like years, right? I, it was like a week. I walk in. Can I pay my ticket? They said, yeah, why don't you come on back here? All of a sudden, this <laughs> sound and this door opens. I'm like, oh, no. And so I walk through this door, and there's all these officers. They took me back there. They fingerprinted my happy rear end. I mean, they did the whole thing. You know, you're under arrest. I mean, did the whole thing. I was so scared. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell my kids? What am I going to do? How am I going to bail myself? I don't even know how to bail myself. Anyway, so they did all this, and they're like, okay, now that you're arrested, you can pay your fine. Like, are you serious right now? I couldn't have just done that at the counter. No, they wanted me to get the full experience, and I sure, man, I sure got it, and I'll never not pay a ticket again, but holy cow, that's a scary place. Wow, for a guy with ADD that's kind of scared and kind of jumpy anyway, like. <laughs> Fortunately, Bubba wasn't in there too. Um, anyway, they let me go, so I paid my ticket. It was, it was all okay, but, you know, maybe, maybe in your past you've struggled with that. Maybe you haven't paid. It, seriously, you've never been arrested. Go get arrested. I feel like we should all experience that at some point in our lives. It's just really eye-opening. Um, but here's the truth, folks. We've all had a warrant out for our arrest and a debt that we can't pay for crimes that we've committed. And that's our sin. And I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care what you think about all this. Maybe this is just like completely foreign to you, um, and you're just kicking the tires of this Christianity thing. You don't really know about all this. 
today is for you, but I'm really talking to those of you who have crossed that line of faith this morning um, because there's something really important that, that we need to grasp about this. And it's not just that debt that wasn't paid or that's, that, that we've committed, but, but it's the fact that we, we sometimes continue to live in it even after it's been paid. But sometimes we continue to live in our past and we don't let our past just be our past and live in our present and our future and allow God to do what he wants to do because we're so stuck back here and maybe what's happened in our lives or what we did or, or what somebody did to us. And so I want to really just talk about this morning, this topic, I heard a, a pastor out of Texas, he's a fantastic preacher and really creative guy, but he said that this word that we're going to talk about this morning is the real F word. And I, and I think it's true because that word is forgiveness. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Um, and today specifically, we're going to talk about forgiving ourselves. Next week, and this is going to shock you, but we're going to talk about forgiving God. But today I want to talk about forgiving ourselves and our past. Um, we're in this series called Habits, and um, habits really, I think, define us. The things that we do over and over again tend to define what we do over and over again and how we kind of live our lives. Habits are one of the hardest things to break. I think the statistics say it takes like 28 days to break a habit of not doing something consistently for 28 days before you can say, okay, I've like broken that habit. But if anybody's ever smoked in here, you know that that like never goes away, right? That when you, I know for people that have smoked, I know lots of people who have, and I know lots of people who've quit, and if you want to quit, you shouldn't, I don't know, we'll find somebody to help you. But anyway, um, you always like, you always kind of want that, right? It's always something that, man, I, that habit, like I just, man, I just, I'm having a cup of coffee this morning. I'd love to just have a cigarette with that. Anybody else experience that? Is that like a thing, right? It's totally a thing. So it never really goes away. But here's the thing. You don't have to like live in that, right? You can overcome that. You can put it behind you. You don't have to continue to like, and the longer that you walk in faithfulness and you're not doing that, the more that it, it doesn't creep up on you anymore. And the more, further you get away from it, the further you are free. And so as you, as you think about forgiving yourself or forgiving ourselves and these habits that we have, um, it's really important that we step away from those. Somebody in here has an incredible habit. I'm going to pick on Debbie for just a minute. I don't know if you're friends with Debbie on Facebook, but if you're not, you should be. And Debbie's going to kill me later. She posts the funniest memes about coffee that you've ever seen. And I mean, things about killing people if she hasn't had her coffee. I mean, this woman is furious in her life. It is hilarious. If you know Debbie, you know that you don't want to be anywhere near Debbie before she's had her coffee. Amen, Kevin? Amen. Right. <laughs> Kevin says he got hurt at Hapkido this week, but his arm is bruised, and I'm fairly certain it's because he didn't get her coffee quick enough. I'm telling you, it's real for her. And so these habits like, that we get into, some of them are good, some of them are bad, right? There's great habits we can get into, but we all have those habits. And I just, I love that with Debbie. I look forward every day to just seeing your hilarious posts on Facebook. It's just makes my day. I'm just one of those people you don't want to talk to before about 10. It has nothing to do with coffee or anything else. Just don't talk to me before 10 o'clock in the morning. You're not, I'm not going to be nice. And if you think I'm going to be nice, just you're lost. I don't know what to tell you, right? Uh, so anyway, um, the first week we talked about in the series, we talked about the Bible being central to our lives and really intaking scripture into our lives and how important that is. And then last week, Brian, I think just really brought it home talking about discipleship and said that, if, that we need to be discipling and being discipled. So we need to have, I've always heard it said, we need a Paul and a Peter in our lives. We need a Paul in our lives, somebody that's pouring into us, somebody that's, that's pouring life into us, that's, that's pouring the gospel into us, that's keeping us accountable. And then we need a Peter in our lives. We need somebody that we're pouring into. Because I'll tell you, the greatest growth you'll ever experience in your life is when you're pouring into somebody else. The greatest growth you're ever going to experience is when you're teaching, when you're leading, when you're discipling. I would go so far to say as if you're not being discipled, I'm not sure you're a disciple. Think about that for just a minute. 
If you're not being discipled, are you really a disciple? Or are you just on hold for a minute? Right? We need to have people pouring into our lives. That's why we're, that's why we're banging the drum on this, on this uh, reading plan. When you get in it, we're all in it together. We can see each other. We can comment. We can talk. That's why we're hammering the drum. Today, we start sign-ups for life groups. We want everybody. Man, I'm, just, I'm not going to shut up about this until we have 100% of our people in life groups. Your life will be forever altered and made different because you are a part of a life group. God will do amazing things in your life if you will commit yourself once a week to being in a life group. We have one on Sundays. We have three on Tuesdays. We, uh, and then another one on... Monday. Yeah. So Sunday, Monday, and three on Tuesdays. There's all kinds of opportunity. We have six life groups this fall for you to be a part of. We want you to be a part of. We'll throw the the QR code up at the end of the service. It's why we bang the drum on this stuff, um, because discipleship is so important. And so as we we, kind of jump from that to forgiveness, let me ask you this question. Are you a person of forgiveness? Are you a person who can say, I can forgive others? I can forgive myself? I can even forgive God where I feel like he hasn't come through for me. Are you a person of forgiveness or are you a person of bitterness? Are you a person that wallows in the past of where you've been and what you've done and won't allow yourself to live in the freedom that Christ offers? We can can walk the altar, we can say a prayer, we can be in life groups, we can do all of those things, but until we learn to accept and forgive our past. God will, we, will, we will continue to live in frustration and bitterness and anger. And those things will eat us for lunch. They will absolutely eat our lunch. Forgiveness is a profit, is, is definitely a process. It's ultimately about moving past my past. By the way, uh, the message this morning is brought to you by Scooter's Coffee. Thank you, Macy, for that this morning. If you'd like one, go see Macy. She'll get you one. Um, your past, you know, I, some, I'm sure some of us have been through these things. We drank too much. Maybe we did something we shouldn't have done. Maybe we said something that we shouldn't have said uh, in a moment of frustration. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you, you worked and worked and worked and you neglected your family and you're not sure you can ever get that back. You're not sure that you can ever recover the respect and love of your, of your wife or children. Maybe you lost your marriage because of it. Uh, maybe, you were, maybe you were bored and disappointed in your marriage and you betrayed that covenant of marriage. Um, whether, whether through pornography or you cheated and you've lost your marriage or maybe you're struggling in your marriage because of it. Listen, we have, to, we have to be forgiven, but we have to forgive ourselves to move past those things. I mean, maybe you're here this morning, you love God with all your heart, but you just can't shake this porn addiction that you've got. You just can't shake this drinking addiction that you've got. You just cannot move past this addiction, whatever it is. I'm going to plug in another life group. Chris and Zach, Tuesday nights, knocking it out of the park with a recovery life group. You want to see some change in your life, man. You're struggling with any kind of addiction. That's the place for you, right, Zach? I mean, God's doing amazing things there. And, and it's so cool to hear the stories of transformation as God works. Maybe you've did something you wish you hadn't done and it haunts you. But that guilt just won't go away. Well, there's all kinds of guilt. I'm like the crying pastor this morning. It must be contagious from last week. I rubbed off from Brian. Um, not all guilt is created equal. <clears throat> we'll recover. We'll get through this. There is a false guilt, which is option one, a false guilt. If you're taking notes, it's on the screen. You can, you can walk along with me. Um, this is the guilt where your parents divorced when you were kids and you still blame yourself. This is the kind of false guilt that says, I was sexually molested as a child and it's my fault. This is the kind of guilt that says, I was beaten in my marriage and it's my fault. 
This is the kind of, this is the kind of damage that's done in maybe one of the strongest ways through emotional abuse at some point in our lives. And for some reason, it's a natural response for us to blame ourselves. And we hold on to that and we feel like it's our fault and we're guilty and we have shame. And how can we ever move past that? Is there a God big enough to do that? And I promise you this morning, you're going to see that there is. That's, that's a false guilt. False guilt can feel a lot like shame and, and it can define us for years. Option two is a worldly guilt. And a worldly guilt just leads to death. It's a worldly guilt that we just don't ever deal with. And it leads to death. Whether emotional death or spiritual death or ultimately physical death. It's a worldly guilt that we refuse to deal with and we just let it eat us up and it eventually kills us in every way possible. And then option three is this. There's a godly guilt, a sorrow um, that's brought on by the Holy Spirit that convicts us, that, that shows us those areas in our lives where we, that we need to deal with, that shows us the things in our past that have already been forgiven because of the blood of Christ, because he took those sins on for us on the cross. There's a godly guilt. Second Corinthians 7.10 talks about this, that, that this kind of guilt draws us closer to God. Um, it leads us to repentance and salvation and ultimately leaves us with no regrets. Wouldn't you love to have no regrets? I mean, I don't know how many people I've, I've talked to, and I even just read a thing last night um, about 90-year-olds that shared what they would tell their younger selves if they were in their 20s. And one of the biggest things that kept recurring over and over again was no regrets. No regrets that I, that I loved well, that I, that I treated others well, that I took care of myself well, that, that I allowed God to work in my life well, that I don't have any regrets in my life. And I know as we sit here this morning that we all, right, we all have regrets, stuff we would do differently. I mean, I'll have to go back very far to find them for myself. Um, and probably you don't either. In fact, that guy that cut me off this week that I gave the bird to, I'm fairly certain, um, is a regret. In fact, Rachel and I were driving last night down I-70, and I, um, I got really irritated with somebody. And I said, I really want to flip that guy off. She was like, I know you do. <laughs> Guys, you know you found a good woman when she like, looks at you and says, I know you do. Yeah. Don't do it, bro. Don't do it. And I didn't, but I wanted to. I did earlier in the week when she wasn't with me. Anyway, <laughs> apparently I need Rachel in the car with me from now on. I'm going to be really embarrassing for a minute. I'm really, I'm really, thr- I, I'm just going to introduce you to Rachel this morning. You guys have walked with me through this journey. You guys know, you guys, you all know I lost my wife three years ago. And, um, I, you know, you pray for somebody and you pray for somebody. I'm just really blessed um, to have Rachel in my life. So everybody just say hi to Rachel. Just do that for me. She's really good. She's going to, she's going to kill me later. Anyway, um, there's a, there's a, there's a no regret that comes with that. There's a feeling of conviction. That, um, that we've gotten wrong, the wrong path, and then we're back onto the right, that we don't want to be like that anymore, right? That we don't want to live that way anymore, that we want to change direction and behavior and baseline. And that's what happens from a godly guilt, right? It pushes us to change and toward, turn towards God instead of turning towards that worldly kind of guilt that, that ultimately kills us. When it comes to forgiveness, many of us have a defining moment. I don't know if you've got one of those in your lives, but a point in our life where something happened to us or we did something to somebody else and it's haunted us. And whether it's that false guilt or whatever, it's been something that's defined us in a lot of ways throughout our life. Um, something that somebody did to us, something that somebody, we did to somebody else that we've had a hard time forgetting, that we've had a hard time moving past. Um, I can tell you for myself, and I'm going to just be really vulnerable here for a minute. I don't know if I've shared this before, but I mean, I had a, I had a, um, a, a sexual molestation when I was like five. And, um, and it was another kid. And it has... It has 
impacted my life in ways that I wish it hadn't, right? It resulted in a porn addiction in my 20s um, that affected my marriage, that affected everything in my life, right? It, it played out in ways that um, were dark. But guess what? It doesn't anymore. Because you have to get to a place where you say, I'm not going to allow that to determine my present and my future. And part of that is forgiving someone, but a big part of that is that shame, right? And that unforgiveness piece that we have for ourselves because we feel like somehow it's our fault. And until you can lay that down, until you can really say to God, you know what, I'm not going to live in that anymore, it just will continue, continue. So I've been there, I understand. So we're going to look at the story of Saul this morning who was transformed into Paul. I love this story. Just It hit me so hard this week. Saul uh, was from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He was born about four years before Jesus, or right around that time. He was a contemporary of Jesus. Um, he didn't walk with Jesus, and you'll understand why in a minute, but um, he was a tent maker by trade, which is kind of a quiet trade, which really played into the ministry that he would have later in his life. Um, he was a common man. He, wasn't, he was not uh, a big educated seminary guy, although he was trained up by a Jewish rabbi. He knew the Torah. He knew it well. He knew Scripture. Um, but when he wrote, he wrote in very common Greek. So this is a guy that's, that isn't, is somebody we can relate to. This isn't like a guy walking from his PhD using words we've never understood, right? Don't you hate it when people write like, what are you talking about? Can you just use the regular word for me? Um, and so he's very much like that. Uh, he, was in a, he was a Pharisee. And if you remember, looking, if you think back to Jesus, he was a guy who was part of the, the, the Pharisees that had Jesus murdered, that, that took Jesus to the cross, right? And so that was what he was a part of, very self-righteous and a massive hypocrite. And so as we look in Acts 7, verses 51 through 60, um, let me just give you a little background on that. In chapter 6, um, the believers were increasing in, in, the, in Bible times. And so as the word of Jesus was going about, people were coming to Christ. We were seeing people get saved. We were seeing you know, the community of Christ really growing in that time. Um, and believe it or not, church folks started complaining. I know that's hard to imagine that church folks would complain, but they really were. You want to see my inbox? Anyway, um, believe it or not, church people complain. And so they did, and there was this uprising. Now, these complaints were actually really constructive because the apostles were busy teaching. They were busy leading people to Christ. And what was happening was the widows of the time were being neglected. They weren't being taken care of. And so there was this kind of whole group of people who needed, like, you know, help from the church, and the church wasn't giving it because there was nobody to give it. And so this is where the deacons came into play. This is where we first see deacons. It's here in Acts chapter 7. And uh, this is exactly what our deacons do here at our church. They, they're here, but they're here for care. They're here to love on people. They're here to make sure that, that you're taken care of. When you've got a moment of need, that's your go-to person is your deacon. If you don't know who your deacon is, find me after service. I'll tell you, and then I'll kick them in the butt for not telling you themselves. You should know who your deacon is. They really are your point of contact, and that's really your point of care here. Um, we, we want that to be that for you. And so they said, let's appoint seven deacons to take over this like care part of the ministry, right? And so they, they appointed these first deacons, these seven, and one of them was a man named Stephen. And you've probably heard this story before if you've been around for any amount of time. Um, he was a man who, Scripture says, was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man who walked with God. And as he took on this role, we see that he really had an impact on the church. He really played a big part into what was happening in, the, in, in this time of Acts. And the gospel was spreading, and opposition began to arise because these same leaders who had Christ crucified didn't want any part of having the gospel of Jesus continue to be spread, right? I mean, that's why they killed Christ. We want to kill this movement. We want it to stop, and we want it to go away. And so as they, as they, um, as they heard about this guy named 
named uh, Stephen, they brought him in and put him on trial. And they questioned him. And for 50 verses, the first 50 verses in Acts, he preaches it. I mean, he just lets it go. And he talks about how every apostle, how every prophet that's ever come, that this group of Pharisees, that these group of so-called godly people has persecuted them all. And at the end of this, he says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Now, can you imagine standing in front of all these religious leaders in the temple who are the respected religious leaders of the time, right? And he looks at them and he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You still don't receive Jesus. You still don't accept the Messiah. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Wow. I mean, that's some strong words. That's like standing up in Congress and going, you bunch of morons, which we could legitimately do. <laughs> Yet we still elect them. Anyway, It'd be like that. I mean, it would literally be like standing up there and just like letting them have it. I mean, that's powerful, strong words. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You've received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. You've got it in your head. You don't have it in your heart. You den of vipers. Get behind me, Satan. Blah. Right? I mean, he just threw up all over him. It was amazing. And their response was this, in 57, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, drug him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, watch this, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Enter Saul into the picture. I love how this plays out. It's so amazing. Here's Saul, like, standing there as they're, as they're stoning Stephen, as they're killing this guy who is just a deacon. I mean, he's just a, it'd be like It'd be like taking, you know, Pat out and just stoning him for being a deacon. I mean, I've wanted to stone Pat a couple of times, but like, it would, just because you're, I mean, just because you're spreading the gospel. You know, we have no idea what that's like to be persecuted. I mean, somebody makes fun of you, wah. I mean, I love Jesus. Oh, dork. Wow, that really hurt. These people are being stoned and killed. And so while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Heard this before? Remember when Jesus said that on the cross? And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. When he'd said this, I love this, he fell asleep and immediately was in the arms of Jesus. And we find the first martyr in scripture that that is talked about. And this is where the story of Paul, Saul, begins to come in. It's about this young Jew, this accomplice to murder, that watches all this happens. Because if you jump to chapter 8, the first verse says what? And Saul approved of their killing him. And this is what happened next. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, and Samaria, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. But Saul began to destroy the church. This is Saul. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, if you go back and study verses 54 through 58 a little closely, here's what I believe happened in that moment when Stephen was murdered. I believe that Satan was unleashed on the church. I believe that in that moment, Satan was unleashed in the church, and his number one tool that he used in that time 
was Saul. Saul was absolutely an, an instrument of the enemy. The devil had every piece of Saul's heart in that time. Look at what happened when, 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 right, after he pre, right after Stephen preached. They gnashed their teeth. They were angry. I mean, it was an evil, satanic, just... How do you say that to us? How can you speak those things to us? And they covered their ears and they yelled and they were so out. Have you ever been, have you ever been so angry or seen somebody so angry that they are just completely out of control? I mean, just, I'm so mad. I'm throwing, I'm hitting, I'm saying whatever comes out of my mouth is nothing but satanic and evil. Have you seen that? It's ugly. And that's exactly what was happening here. These guys were ticked off because they'd been called to the carpet. They were yelling at the top of their voices. They drug them out of the city. They picked up stones. They took the time to lay down their nice cloaks, though, at the feet of Paul. And then they threw rocks at this guy until he was dead. That's some kind of anger. That's some kind of satanic anger. And that's exactly what Paul became for the next few years. Stephen's death began a tirade of hate by Saul, and he was absolutely a tool. And we have to look at ourselves, because maybe out of hate or anger or something just stupid that we've said we'd never do it again, um, I want you to think about, as, as Paul walks through this, Saul walks through this and, and, and is transformed into Paul, I want you to just kind of think in your mind what it would be like to look back on what you had done. Um, Maybe, maybe, again, it's something we continue to struggle with or a sin that we hold on to, but, but something in our past that keeps us held there, right? And if that's where we are, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be because it's in that time that, that our enemy can use us and that he keeps us from living a transformed life, right? And so here's the beginning of Paul's story. When you jump over to chapter 9, um, and this is such a great story because it's for us, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which is Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Paul is getting permission from the religious leaders of the time to go and arrest people, throw them in jail, and ultimately have them killed. He was on the hunt, and he wasn't letting up. But wait a minute, I love this. These two words, but God. Say that with me but God, right? This is, this is, I love this. This is so great. Verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. He doesn't say that's my church you're persecuting. What does he say? I am Jesus. You're persecuting me. When you persecute my church, you persecute me. When you come against one of mine, you come against one of me. When you stand in the face of the gospel, you stand in the face of me. That's power. I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. And so the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. I'm sure they did. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So they heard this sound that happened, but they, didn't, they, they weren't part of the conversation that, that Saul had with Jesus in that moment. And so they're confused, and Saul gets up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by his hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. Someday when you're on vacation, put patches on your eyes for three days. 
I'm telling you, I don't know that there's anything scarier than being in the dark. My fear of going to prison (laughs) and the rapture and me getting left is nothing compared to what it was like to be blind for three days two summers ago. It is scary. You feel your way around and you hurt yourself over and over again because you run into things. You lose all perspective, you lose dimension, you lose spatial awareness. You literally feel lost. And that's exactly what Paul experienced for three days. This is somebody who hadn't had eye problems and experienced before, right? He's just blind. And so this, this thing that happened, and I, I want you, I just, I, I pulled this, this video in for just a minute because I was thinking about what kind of light, like what is that? Um, and all I could think about was when you look back over, especially the Old Testament, like when, when God parted the seas, we know that he used wind. He knows he used nature to perform those miracles, right? That's, that's just kind of how he works. So this is what I thought of when I thought of this light that Paul saw. Watch this. That's obnoxious and loud on purpose. Startle you? You think God would get your attention that way? That first kid walking out in the middle of the, in the, of the yard with the umbrella, man, I'm like, I'm peeing my pants and pooping my pants and running. Like, holy Lord, what just happened? And that's how he got Paul's attention, right? I mean, it, when God wants your attention, he doesn't mess around, all right? That's how he works. And he will get your attention. And so he, he knew that Jesus was calling. And if anyone's Again, uh, to watch Paul walk through this is just something incredible. Um, Saul had no idea how off he really was until that moment. Saul had no idea that he was serving Satan until that very moment. But watch this in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him to in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, just for a second, I want you to think about where Paul is in his mind. He's blind. He's, just, he's been like completely lost for three days. He knows that Jesus called him, but he also knows what he's done. And so I'm sure that he's in his mind really just, I mean, I think, I, I really believe God just wanted to confuse him so he could set him straight, right? He really just impacted his mind in that moment. And so this is, this is this kind of past thing that we deal with, right? In verse 13, Ananias says, And rightly so, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And so Ananias is thinking to himself, um, No, I'm not going to go lay hands on anybody. That guy's going to kill me if I go find this guy right? This is, this is the, the reality that Paul was now going to have to deal with as God called him out of that life. And this was his first encounter post-conversion, post-Jesus impacting him, um, was with Ananias. And so Ananias says, uh, the Lord says back to Ananias, well, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so, I mean, again, Ananias has just got to be thinking to himself, you're going to do what? You're going to use who? 
And in our lives, I think it's very much the same. You're going to use me? Do you not know what I've done? Do you not know what I was? Do you not know what, where I've been? Do you not know my struggles? Do you not know my sins? Do you not know? Yeah, he does. And he calls us out to go and make disciples, right? So Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, I love these words, brother Saul. He recognized the transformation because God said so. But God. Love it. Ananias obeys God, and he's immediately and completely a brother. Paul is transformed by the blood of Jesus and called. It should really, I mean, really give us chills what God does in his life. There's hope for all of us. Listen, if he can transform Paul, he can transform us. Thank you, Jesus, that there's nothing that I can do that could possibly compare to what Saul did. And he transforms him. There's forgiveness. But the key to it is what? Obedience. The key is Paul being obedient. The key is Ananias being obedient. The key on the backside of the call and transformation is being obedient to his calling. Verse 17 goes on to say this, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. He was obedient. He received Christ and he was baptized. And that may be your next step this morning. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to go into the waters and publicly proclaim, listen, I am a Christ one. I am a follower of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I, let, let us know after, after service. If that's your next step, right? We've, we've all got next steps, and maybe that's it for you. Maybe this call that Jesus is calling and saying, I want your life, I want you to follow me, is where you need to be this morning. He still has a past that's going to stay with him. But when we forgive our past, um, we in no way change our past. But we sure do change our future. We sure do change our future. Paul started preaching, and just like he had done, began to have his life threatened by others. The coin literally flipped, and he experienced what he dished out. <laughs> that old saying, you can dish it out, but you can't take it? He dished it out, and then he took it, right? In verse 26, it says this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, rightly so. So he's been preaching for a while now. They say it was probably about two to three years between when he, when he encountered Jesus in Damascus and then actually went and met with the, the disciples. So a couple years had passed. And so, you know, maybe you've experienced this, but, but Paul's like doing his thing. And I'm sure at moments has flashes of what has happened, right? Because that's, that's normal. But two to three years pass, and he goes to meet these disciples, and the disciples are like, whoa, hang on a minute. We know who you are. And maybe news hadn't traveled, or maybe, what, you know, it's not like we had the internet, so it wasn't like somebody was going, oh, look what happened to Saul on CNN. <laughs> hadn't traveled. So these guys, are, these guys are still scared of Saul. So his past immediately comes back in his face. Have you ever had your past thrown back in your face? Me too. Right? Things we've done, things we've said, sins we've, whatever. It gets thrown back in our face. And, the, and so these apostles and disciples are out like, well, I'm not having anything to do with him. Not believing that he really was the disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles who told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, 
and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Verse 31 tells us that at the end of, at the end of this, when, when he began to work there, that um, there was a time of peace and that the church grew. Probably because Saul was no longer persecuting the church and leading the charge. And so as Paul was transformed, so was the church. Guess what? As you're transformed, so is the church. As you follow Jesus, so does the church. If you think that your actions and your life and what God has brought you through and what he's delivered you from doesn't impact others, I promise you you're wrong. I can look around the room at some of you and know exactly what your pasts are and recognize how you're impacting the kingdom of God right here at Three Trails. Leading a life group, leading a recovery group, discipling, loving on people, being a, being a deacon. As we change, as our lives turn, so does the church. It's a beautiful picture that's painted here. It's almost like a tapestry. I actually had one I was going to bring this morning. And I left it laying on the couch because I just had too much to think about this morning. But if you've seen a tapestry, you know the backside of it just looks like trash, right? You ever seen the backside of a really beautiful tapestry? If you look at the back of it, you don't really know what it is. But as soon as you turn it around, what do you see? You see the beauty of this thing, right? That is on the backside just looks all sewn and a mess, but on the front side is this beautiful picture. And it's just exactly the same thing with our lives. And it's a cliched illustration, but, exa- but so true of how God works in our lives. We don't have to linger in the past. You know why? Because we're forgiven. The hardest thing to do is forgive ourselves, and that's where the devil's playground comes. It's the shame. It's just the I am who I am. I'm a bad person. I won't. I can't. I haven't. I won't. But change connects us in actions and identity. God can't use me because. I can't be happy because. Right? I can't forgive and love because. I've never, I'll never have a great marriage because of what I did. I'll never have fellowship with my kids because I, I, I did this. I'll never have a legacy of godliness because I did this. May I point you to the Apostle Paul? I don't care what you've done. God is right there longing to put those things away. Think about what Paul did. He killed people. He watched as Stephen was stoned. He unleashed Satan wraths on believers. He, he literally served the devil, and now he serves Christ. And so this godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, that leads us to godliness, that means we want to give it all up. It means we want to have a good attitude. That means we want our mouths to, to, to speak life and to speak love to others. That means we don't want to treat others that way anymore. That means I don't want to flip people off when I'm driving down the highway. That's like such a thing for me. It is so hard. I'm, I'm believing that God's going to transform that in my life, right? It's, and you know what? It really is rooted in some anger, right? That I have probably haven't let go of and I still need to deal with, right? We're always in that process of transformation, but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to walk us through that transformation and be open to allow that to happen and not want to be in that anymore, right? I want that guy to cut me off and go, man, Jesus loves you. So do I. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Because that's not the world we live in. Get on Facebook. I hate your living guts. I mean, seriously. 
the stuff that's portrayed in our lives and that we participate in and that we intake is, is, is divisive and hateful. Look around. Take inventory this week of what you're putting into your mind. Take inventory this week of what you're watching on TV. Take inventory this week of what social media is putting into your head. It is divisive and it's hateful. There is nothing good out there except for maybe, hey, I love my family. I mean, that's why all I post is good, fun stuff because I just, I can't participate in that. Because man, the minute I participate in that, I go down a road I don't want to go down. Right? I mean, it's just ugly. It's just, I don't, I don't, I don't need to be a part of that. I, I want to be a part of it because it's fun. <laughs> I'll debate you till the sun comes up, but it's not fruitful right? Just because everything is permissive according to scripture doesn't mean that it's fruitful, right? I can do anything I want. doesn't mean I should. Jesus went to the cross, right? First John 1 9 says, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us, that our past doesn't have to determine our future and our present. And so whatever is in your past this morning, here's what I'm asking. Would you just, would you please lay it down? Would you please come to the foot of the cross where Jesus gave up his life, where his blood was shed so that you don't have to carry that crap around anymore. Could today be the day that you just surrender it? Where you say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I put a word in there that the worship team hates. But I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Own that. Let that be your call. Let that be your mantra. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in my past. I don't have to own that anymore because Jesus owned it on the cross. It's not mine to carry. It's not mine to hold on to. It's not mine to live in. And so I open my hand and I just give it to Jesus today. Joel, would you come up for just a minute and jump on? There was an old Carmen song. Y'all remember Carmen? I love Carmen. Carmen was a, an early Christian artist. And uh, he did these, like, speak songs, right? He was, from, he was from Brooklyn, right? And so he'd talk with, like, you know, kind of a, kind of a rocky kind of guy, right? And, uh, and, he, and he said this one time in one of his songs, when Satan reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. He's gone, folks. I've read the end of the book. We win. So why do we want to keep living in, in, in that? Would you bow your heads just for a minute and close your eyes with me? You know, we always do this in church, and I always feel like I need to explain. Why are we bowing our heads and closing our eyes? Because I want you to focus. Because for just a moment, for just a moment, I want us to be quiet. We don't have nearly enough quiet time in our lives. We're surrounded by noise and the loudness of a world that's content to live in defeat, to live in hatefulness, to live in divisiveness, to live in darkness. But there is a light, and his name is Jesus. And he calls. And scripture says he stands at the door and he knocks. 
And he says, just let me in. Just let me in. And I think we have multiple doors in our hearts and walls that we put up in the name of self-preservation or pain, unforgiveness, bitterness. And we don't live there every day, but there are moments. And he stands at those doors and he knocks and he says, will you just, will you just let my light in? Will you let me light up those dark corners of your life that you haven't surrendered to me yet? Will you surrender? And will you be obedient? Will you give up your past? I want to do more in you so I can do more through you. I want to impact my church. I want to impact the world. I want to send you to the other side of it to share me with the people that are there. I want to send you to your neighbor's house to share who I am and what I've done in your life. Because when we experience that kind of transformation, we can't help but to share it. We can't help but to allow that light to shine out of us. And so this morning, all over this room, I don't know. I don't know what you've been through. But Jesus does. I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what you need to forgive yourself for. I don't know what maybe you need to forgive someone else for, but I know that Jesus stands waiting. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, and we don't ever do this here. But if that's you this morning, and, I'm, and this is, sounds so churchy, but I really just, nobody looking around, but if that's you this morning, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. If you need to surrender something in your life today, if God is knocking on your heart and saying, would you give this to me? And you're at a point where you're saying, yes, God, I will. I am ready to surrender this. I'm tired of being tired. I am so sick of being sick. I'm so sick of my anger. I'm so sick of my frustration. I'm so sick of this sin that I can't overcome. I'm so sick of this addiction. I don't know what it is for you this morning, but whatever that is, just, just stand up right where you are. And all you're doing is stand up and just saying, Jesus, I want you to transform this part of my life, this part of my heart right now, in this place, in this moment, I'm handing it off to you. Maybe you're struggling with depression this morning and you need to give that up to God. Maybe you've got anxiety that you need to give up to God. Maybe you need to surrender your finances. I don't know what God's calling to you. But in this moment, he says, I'm calling. Will you listen and will you respond to me today? Will you take a stand and will you allow me to work in your life? Lord Jesus says, people are standing all over this room and I have no doubt even still sitting. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade their hearts and lives in this moment. That, Lord Jesus, as we stand and say, come into this part of my heart and my life. I'm giving it to you. I'm not staying in it anymore. I'm not holding on to it anymore. I'm opening up my hands. 
and I'm letting it go. I'm leaving it at your feet, Lord Jesus, and I am turning around, and I am walking the other way. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. It's yours. And Lord God, when Satan reminds me of that past, Lord Jesus, I'm going to claim the victory. I'm going to claim the deliverance. I'm going to claim your blood because you've done a work in my heart and my life. And because you have, I'm going to walk from this moment forward in victory. I will no longer stand in this place, but I will kneel in your presence. What everybody else, let's just stand up and, and join and let's pray together. Father, as we experience you in worship, as we experience you through relationships and one another, God, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for each family that's represented here. God, you are so faithful. You are so amazing. And we literally just stand in your presence. Our heart's full because we've heard from you this morning. God, I didn't preach this, you did. Lord, these are your words, not mine. God, my heart's full because my entire other side family that's not my family is all here this morning that I absolutely love and adore. And that includes everybody in this room. Lord, we pray as uh, Brian and Sarah are on vacation, God, that, um, that you'll refresh them, that you'll bring Brian back with a, a refreshed fire, a renewed spirit of rest and drive on the other side of it. We pray for protection for them as they're gone, that you'll hold them close to your hearts these next couple of weeks, and that you'll hold our church in your hearts as well as they have to put up with me. Love you, Debbie. Little Debbie. We love you, Jesus. God, you're amazing. Everybody said amen.